of sustainability to the forefront of the fashion industry. Firstly, I want to wish you guys a really, really happy new year. Thank you so much for tuning back in with me on our very first episode of 2021. And if you're new here, a big warm welcome. As always, I'm so happy that you decided to tune in and I'm super excited that you're now our latest addition to the AA family, sending you all a big warm welcome hug. So I'm sure with every annual beginning, a lot of us are going to be in such a reflective, nostalgic sort of mood because I know I am. And if you guys didn't manage to check out last week's episode, I did do a solo one where I shared my 2020 learnings and unlearnings. So thanks to all the amazing guests that have been featured on the show so far, I learned a ton and I basically did a big roundup of all the things I learned within uh, certain themes. So we talked about circular fashion and um, business side of things. So yeah, it was a big kind of reflection episode. So yeah, I hoped you did enjoy it and learn a lot as well with me. It's But this year's been a really weird one. It's definitely a weird year where it almost feels like half the year has been an apocalyptic kind of movie and then the other half of the year which uh, our guest this week also describes as a really long Monday and definitely when you're in lockdown all the days start merging um yeah I find it so funny how I mean every year it's kind of like the beginnings always full of energy and drive and then especially 2020 where we started it with a bang and with such incredible energy like oh my god another decade 2020 vision and then literally 60 days in and corona just like shut us all down and like humbled us all up um in all seriousness it it definitely has been like challenging in many different ways um I do hope like if you guys have already like manifested and written your goals and you know reflected upon 2020 that you guys have also plenty of wins no matter how big or small I am sure you guys have wins and um yeah and even in times of hardship I hope that you remember even if it's a lesson or an experience that you felt like you lost you did not because if that experience helps you and find yourself, helps you grow into a better version of yourself, then you, my girls and boys, are all winners. So remember that. To introduce this week's awesome guest, you guys may have come across her blog or her podcast called Sustainability Explored. Yep, this week we have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Anna Chastina, a sustainability consultant, writer and podcast host with a mission to help businesses operate in the most sustainable manner possible. Over the last five years, Anna has offered her consultancy service as a link between the conventional corporate world and an environmental and social advocate through investment projects such as infrastructure and renewable energy. So today's conversations are a little bit outside our normal fashion focus, but the principles and challenges behind 
everything that we're going to speak about from like environmental protection, social responsibility, leadership and company culture are all relevant and important factors across any industry. So I am really grateful that Anna has joined us today to share some light on how sustainability looks like in her field and if fashion can take some notes. If you haven't already done so and would like to stay connected with me and the rest of the AA family, come through on our website at www.animaanimus.co.uk where you can sign up to our email list and access all of our member perks. Wink, wink. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, now over to Anna. Hey Anna, welcome to the Anima Animas podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on the 1st of January. How's everything? How are you? How is how's your new year? Thanks, Chelsea. It's such a pleasure to be here and really to start exactly start the new year with new engaging conversations, meeting new people, even virtually, you know, listeners of your podcast. Uh, yeah, the new year, uh, as we just exchanged off the recording. the the whole 2020 was a big long Monday Mm. (laughs) I'm just hoping that the next year so this year basically 2021 will be a little bit different will be kinder to all of us uh, but also more energetic and will give us more opportunities every day to make it count yeah hopeful I'm liking it liking the vibes (laughs) trying to be positive it's true yeah (laughs) awesome so Just as a tradition, um, we always start off the episode with a little game and it's called AA Assumptions. And that's when I say three statements and then you can reply if you think it's true or false and why. So you ready? Ooh, excited. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, awesome. So the first one is renewable energy uses up a lot of land. True or false? Uh, both, both true and false. Depends what kind of uh, alternative energy we're talking. If we're saying wind farms, uh, then no, it's just a pylon, so just the tower, uh, but the land all around uh, can be used for agricultural purposes. If we are talking solar panels, then no, it takes basically a lot of land you cannot do pretty much anything under the solar panels the landscape starts looking very futuristic Mm. and then yes in this case it takes a lot of land what else is there tidal no you just you have the waves and that's all you make use of those Uh, geothermal mm, no it looks like a little bit a little bit like a like a factory so again no and you know the true or false statements always remind me of how I landed my first actual professional job. I went through the series of interviews uh, with very serious people, uh, some of them working uh, in one of the branches of the World Bank. And I was the youngest out of, the, of everyone who applied. Wow. My technical task, finally, I submitted, the one that I submitted was the worst. Uh, I got an opportunity to ask them for feedback uh, since they eventually accepted me to do that work. But I remember one specific question at the moment uh, at one of my interviews. They asked me something and I said, you know what, there is no right answer. Mm. And this is how I bought them. You know, I I got their hearts and they were like, oh my God, this girl is so smart. It's true. (laughs) 
So I was like, you can look at it this way, you can look at it that way. And then in, if you choose option A, you go like this. If you choose option B, you go like that. And uh, this is what uh, distinguished me uh, from everybody else. So, you know, yes, again, alternative energy and land depends. Mm-hmm. Probably, yes, the least um, land consuming is wind energy. Interesting. Not even tidal? No. Ooh. Tidal, I don't know. See, tidal is, uh, is particular. I have never seen it in my life, so I know it exists, but probably it's so little. The potential is little because how many... Who, who lives next to the oceans and seas and other water bodies that are producing waves? So if we say river, it's, it, it will not count. Uh, but even from the developing countries, uh, I haven't seen that. I haven't heard a mm. lot of examples. I know they do it in Canada. I even saw it in my uh, energy bill when I used to live in Canada. For my master's, I was there for three months uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador. There I saw like 0.03% was coming from tidal, uh, tidal energy. Mm. Um, but yeah, again, never saw that. Yeah. Awesome. I guess that now our listeners kind of know what the main topic of this episode will be, because it's going to be all renewable energy related. <laughs> so then that leads on nicely yeah. to the second statement, which is clean energy cannot power a hundred percent of the world's energy requirements. Do you think? That could be possible, not possible. Mm, I want to believe it's possible. I don't have any scientific proof. Proof. I don't know if anywhere it has been already accomplished. Mm. I want to think that Scandinavian countries will be the first, uh, but it's still going to take some time. Probably it sounds like utopia, but uh, my answer is... I want to believe yes. Yeah. I think that's then it gives us the goal, isn't it? Like, it gives us the goal to strive for it. Yeah, it it gives hope. It gives, uh, um, it challenges us as well. Like, oh, can we do it? Let's Mm. try. Well, at least we, we, at least we can be trying. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So then the third and final statement of the game is renewable energy is more expensive than non-renewable energy. I think that's such a common thing. Yeah, like help us debunk it. I I would say at the investment stage, it is definitely more expensive. But then the longer you use the what you have built, say solar panels or wind turbines, the longer you use it, uh, the cheaper it becomes. So at the end, the initial investment pays off and this energy becomes like almost free. Almost. Mm. Long-term investments. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So just so that our listeners get to know a little bit more about you and your background, let's let's open it up now to like getting to know you and yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, about your background and how you started your blog and your podcast, which is called Sustainability Explored. Yay. 
So my name is Anna. I was born in Ukraine, in the eastern part of Ukraine, uh, in the city called Donetsk. Uh, it used to be a very industrial place with lots of coal mines, metallurgy factories, and so on. I remember seeing this metallurgy um, fires. You know, they have these huge ovens to make uh, steel and other sort of metals. And I remember seeing it from our window. Uh, far away, you, you get these flames, fumes, uh, very industrial, you know, pictures and landscape. And one of my I got asked that a lot, like, why did you decide to be an environmentalist, especially when I was just starting to study to become an environmentalist, when I just entered the uni to, to start my bachelor studies. Uh, no one knew what environmentalist is supposed to do. And probably one of my first memories from my kind of childhood times was that we would open the windows slightly when we were leaving the house in the morning, me and my sister to go to the school, my parents to work. And then every evening we would come back and see black dust uh, on the windows. Oh, no. Probably, well, no, not probably, for sure it was coming from the mines and uh, this metallurgy plant, from all the fumes, all the fires uh, all around the place. Uh, industrial kind of residuals and particulate matter mm. and I remember it made me it was terrifying it made me very scared because this is what I'm breathing every day this is what lands on my skin on my hair uh, wow like yeah you you literally see what you breathe and what um, what ends up inside of your lungs mm. So since then, uh, I was probably 12, 13, I don't know, 15 years old. Uh, I knew that something has to be done uh, for the air quality. Never got to work with air quality yet professionally. Um, and, and I also realized that my city was not the dirtiest and not the most polluted. So we moved to Kyiv, uh, to the capital of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I started my university studies. Then I moved to, I got accepted to do Erasmus Mundus Masters. So two years, I got the scholarship for two years uh, studies, a little bit in France, a little bit in the UK, in Norwich. Oh, amazing. Yes, a little bit in Canada, uh, in um, first Portugal, that was my first year. And then my second year was between uh, France and Canada. I chose, you know, the, this industrial ecology never left me. The, hard for industrial ecology never left me so for my master thesis i chose um, the topic of e-waste electronic waste so all of our our laptops tablets phones etc um, mm -hmm. and i decided to go through the whole life cycle that was a big big work um, it opened my eyes to many things um, you know supply chains production, um, ethics also, ethics of metal extraction, especially rare metals that are extracted in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, etc., etc. So conflict materials, and they're called conflict for a reason. And then I returned to France, where I lived at that, uh, at that time, 2014, 15. 
And for more than a year, I couldn't find an occupation, you know, professional occupation. Mm. <laughs> I lived in Nice uh, by the sea and oh, nice. it was the worst place probably on earth oh, to really? ex execute, you know, to, yeah, to, to work in environment because the focus of the area of that region was mostly tourism, cinema, uh, Festival de Cannes, mm -hmm. uh, what else? Yeah, that's all. And and the sea and all the activities related to to the um, to the sea maybe sports so nothing is polluted uh, no one needs your industrial ecology degree there was a university but i was not really interested in pursuing phd so i spent a year and a half in despair trying and trying and knocking on every door i sent over I'm certain over 500 CVs in a short period of time. Wow. And I was so desperate that at the end I was like, okay, it doesn't work. I'm here. Uh, let me at least try to, to become a seller in the shop to sell clothes. Mm -hmm. So I came to the shop where I apply online, something like that. And they uh, literally told me, no, you're overqualified. Don't eat the bread that is not yours, you know, go find wow. your tribe. Yeah. What? And here in Ukraine, there was the collapse of the Soviet Union. People are still, you know, living a little bit in the past. You can find cash here with a PhD in, I don't know, in physics, in, I don't know, in something space related. Mm -hmm. And this person is just a cashier. In France, that wouldn't be possible at all. So if you have a master's degree, Please be kind, go to, go search for occupation, for job in where you would fit. Uh, don't mix with those who were not that privileged, who didn't have the opportunity to study because it costs as well. Uh, so no, you cannot just become a seller in the shop because it's, it's for those who, for whom it will be, you know. That is... That is so out of line. That just doesn't even make sense because in a way kind of, they're kind of perpetuating the problem. I I don't know. You can look again. You can look at it from different sides. But for me, it showed me. It like it closed the door and it made me very focused. I was like, okay, I cannot do that. And it's true. I'm overqualified. I should be doing what I studied for. At oh, least yeah, I should try course. and leave that opportunity for those who, who cannot do anything else. Yeah. I was very grateful. In the beginning, of course, I was uh, angry. But then a couple of days passed. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so grateful. You people closed that door for me and made me focused, uh, showed me my niche. And uh, from there, environment it was, sustainability it was ever since. Um, NIS still did not provide me with any opportunities uh, of work, of paid work, I should mm -hmm. say. And I moved back to Ukraine, uh, the, one of the branches of the World Bank called IFC, International Finance Corporation. Uh, the World Bank has five. IFC is working here in Ukraine, in the developing countries. Uh, they were on a mission to turn one of the regular banks into a green bank, so green institution. What it means, the, comp mm -hmm. the, the concept of a green, green bank is, of course, more complicated that, than what I'm just going to say, but 
for everybody to understand, it's an institution that mostly lends money uh, to alternative energy projects mm -hmm. and energy efficiency. And they wanted the person inside of the institution that would build um, from scratch, nothing existed, not even methodology, yeah. a so-called ESMS, Environmental and Social Management System. What it means, it means that you have a project with the owner that says, I want to build XYZ, uh, please give me money. And this person, together with business department, legal department, um, underwriting, so risk assessment department, also does the environmental and social risk assessment of the project, identifies the gaps in that story, um, checks back with the community, checks if they have all the necessary permits. The legal department at the bank usually looks at like certain economic and financial data. And I was that person who started from the beginning defining the policy, what kind of projects we're looking at, what are we asking from them, building the system, uh, engaging all other departments as well to, to work as one. And uh, essentially, yes, three years at the bank uh, led me to shifting to opening kind of my own little consultancy, becoming a person of my own. Uh, not anymore working inside of a corporation or a big institution, but next to them, partnering with them, uh, knowing what the banks want, what are the standards, what are the policies, what are the essential requirements, allowed me to also help the business projects to unlock that investment, to help them unlock that investment from the environmental and social perspective. And so the first client I started to work with was uh, mm. the wind farm developer. And uh, the first time he, he shared that with me, the first time the bank said uh, the money was coming from the U.S. Uh, financial institution. Uh, the first time they told me, well, we see you have uh, technical design. We see you, we have electrical design. I don't know. Uh, you have all the legal documents. You, you know what's going on went on with your finances but what about esms and he was like what the hell is esms can someone tell me what these four letters mean and they started to look and since it's a wind farm you know the banks um, the common statement that i used to hear while still working at the bank we don't want uh, to wake up one day and say this and that institution is killing birds in ukraine uh, for the banks, when they, when they kind of insist on meeting and managing those very specific environmental and social requirements, it's also, it's not only the question of financial risk, which environmental and social will eventually lead to, if not managed properly, but also a question of reputational risk. No one, again, no one wants to wake up one day, open the newspaper and say, and see, wow, uh, how is that my institution involved in some dirty mm -hmm. business in killing birds and biodiversity? Um, yeah, that's, that's simply not possible. And so I was there to bridge, to fill the gap between what the financial institution wants and what the business owner should do. 
and uh, it's working it's working perfectly people mm -hmm. in the community are happy so what i'm doing what it means environmental and social risks uh, it's looking at the project from the environmental perspective inside and outside imagine the yeah. the project is happening uh, behind the fence so environment inside of that fence where the workers are is everything that is happening with your incoming materials that are essentially some of them turning into waste say packaging uh, with the water with the air everything that is in and what is out uh, what is the what's happening with the liquid and solid waste uh, what is happening with the emissions mm -hmm. if you have any inside of that project environment outside of the you know supposed fence uh, is birds, bats, mammals, um, flora and fauna uh, outside of it. So how to get there? Uh, are you coming through, I don't know, indigenous lands? Are you coming through the cultural heritage? That's not possible. So all of that is kind of taken care of during the design stage, but then it's need someone who would take care of it while the project is being developed, constructed. The social uh, component of it is the same. Inside you have the workers. What do they eat? Um, do they have a place where to have their lunch in winter? Do they have simple things like fridge and microwave? Uh, do they have toilets? Do they have enough drinking water, technical water? Um, do they have PPE? That's a little bit of a health and safety question. And this year we were faced with uh, this year, in 2020. We were faced with unprecedented mm. conditions of COVID. Uh, we didn't stop the construction because we, uh, we managed, luckily we managed to um, supply our workers with all the necessary additional PPE, masks, gloves, uh, sanitizers, etc. Again, enough soap, which is not always the case. You will be surprised. Um, so yeah, even, even the soap, we had it, but I know plenty of projects, plenty of examples that, uh, that were not able to provide their workers with simple things. And the uh, social component outside of the project is the community. Uh, if the community doesn't know, uh, which, is a, which is a terrible case, if the community doesn't know what's going on with their land, if the community was not informed, engaged, if no one took a moment to hear their objections, fears, proposals, comments, etc., uh, the project is guaranteed to have a lot of problems, to say the least, or not even happen at all. It's very important. I know I saw that in my professional life that it works miracles. If you just show up in front of the community of the villagers, you inform them, of course, in advance when uh, you're going to hold this meeting, stakeholder engagement meeting. If you just let them speak, and you know, even if you don't do anything after that, just letting them speak and express themselves, it works miracles. So that's that's uh, in a nutshell what environmental and social. Uh, kind of management system does and the management person uh, does on that position. And I see that, you know, I'm working with the projects that are working with external money, the money that is not their own. 
then there is that external pressure from the bank, from the auditors to, to respond and to actually work by the principles and the standards of uh, the financial institution in question. And my wish for 2021 and after is that it's be it becomes compulsory for everyone, for every project, every infrastructure project, uh, regardless of uh, where the money is coming from. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, quickly, because I wanted to express like, but even back to the, the when you were trying to look for a job. Um, yeah, because oh, I, yeah. I, initially mm -hmm. I assumed, you know, like when they were saying, no, you can't have it because you should go and look for, you know, something in your own field. Like, I just assumed that you was kind of just looking for something, you know, to for the time being whilst you find something in your field. But in, in a sense, when it kind of helped you, as you say, focus and help you expedite to where you are now, that's absolutely great. Yeah, I'm very intrigued about like the projects. I'm very happy that, I don't know, hearing about these like green banks. Did you call it green banks? Greener banks? Yeah, greener banks. I don't think, I mean, maybe because I haven't heard about it here, but I haven't heard of that before. I kind of um, assumed maybe, you know, investments would come from any sort of thing. But to have an initiative where a bank is absolutely just going to be investing in these things is, is hopeful to hear. So that's really cool. And then you spoke about, yeah, your recent projects. But with wind farming and just thinking like how, who kind of ultimately after hearing all these feedback and all these thoughts from the community like who ultimately kind of decides whether you know sh they should go forth with the, the project in a way they do play a big role so what happens in ukraine on the legal level is that we have um, two years ago, it was December 2018, mm -hmm. when uh, we passed the law and it was accepted, um, the law on environmental impact assessment that makes stakeholder engagement at the design stage. So this is when you have nothing yet built and mm -hmm. not a single car and a single person on that spot of land that you are trying to, to have for your project. Uh, already on, the, uh, on that stage, at that stage on, of design documentation, you have to make it publicly available. You have to give enough time, if I'm not mistaken, it's 30 days after mm -hmm. it's published. It's 30 days, uh, the communities, by the way, not only around the project, anywhere in the country. So imagine you're sitting in London and all of a sudden you're concerned about what's happening just outside of Norwich or Kent or yeah. you name it. And you express your concern, your opinion. So anyone can participate and say, well, you know, I'm against, but you also have to tell why and what's, what's exactly your issue with the project. After those 30 days of collection of opinions and comments, uh, the project has, again, a month or two, uh, to prepare a table, like a comparison table, where they would say, okay, name of name of the organization of the person who expressed something, mm -hmm. what was the question, and how they're going to mitigate that, or why they think it's irrelevant. For example, some grandma, just for, for the real example, 
would say, well, I'm afraid I'm not going to sleep at night because the, um, the wind turbines are too noisy. So you have to engage with that grandma, identify where she lives. Maybe not. Like, like now I'm overcomplicating. Usually it doesn't matter where she lives. It has to be far enough from the community and the noise is measured uh, right next to the first tu turbine and next to the first house uh, closest to that project, so right. the settlement. Yeah. And, you know, you justify and you explain in that table why this concern is not relevant at all, because uh, the sound that she's going to hear is maybe the sound of a car passing somewhere on the road somewhere far away. So you will hear it still, maybe, uh, but it's so far away, it can be negligible. Okay. Um, People are not expert. No one is an expert in everything. Like when I'm going to, to my dentist, I cannot object pretty much because I don't know uh, the anatomy of, mm -hmm. of my mouth or anyone's mouth. So uh, sometimes we have fears and concerns that are not uh, scientifically kind of based but it takes another professional to explain why yes and why no um yeah and that that's pretty much it but the community right now plays a big role i cannot say they have a veto power to mm -hmm. say no we don't want the project and the project just because they said no will not happen uh, there is a dialogue there is always a dialogue what they want uh, what they get uh, what is the science behind what has been measured what has been proved um and so on but it's definitely it it has opened i want to say a pandora box mm -hmm. for 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 the projects that used to go you know oh we just want to build it and so we have enough money and you all shut up but i'm also be, being you know at the same time being a professional in my field but i'm also a citizen i'm also a community member somewhere mm -hmm. uh, so i understand what makes um what makes people kind of afraid uh, so it has definitely played the good role yeah no it's so good that within this field there are open conversations before anything has just started and it's great that like um yeah what you kind of explained about the esms and the policies that you know, people allowed us voice their opinion both sides and yeah, definitely kind of uh, mould the project and I'm sure probably it's quite exciting also to see how you can improve, help your clients develop the projects even more. Um, yeah. Now I'm kind of interested what, when you work with your clients, what are the most popular problems or the common kind of areas that that you try and help your clients tackle with? Like what's normally, you know, the most popular issues that arise? Mm -hmm. Great question. I think the most popular is we have no idea what these words mean. Do something. <laughs> Not to say that they don't want to learn more, but as I gave you the example of, say, a dentist or, uh, I don't know, a, a lawyer, uh, you cannot know everything. And I stopped expecting from them. I used to be like, well, I don't know what you need. You tell me what you need and I will do. 
And then I, I shifted. 2020 was transformational in that regard. I shifted completely my mindset. I was like, they cannot know. Uh, again, take the dentist um, uh, example. You cannot know by yourself what exactly the problem and where it is, but the problem that the professional can, you know. Mm. So when they, uh, all of them are coming in the state, oh my God, the bank said uh, abracadabra, uh, you know, a number of, even, you know, in our field in the environmental and sustainability, you say ESMS, um, ESG, SDG. So lots of abbreviations, GRI. Oh my God, what does it mean? <laughs> what is this language? Is it Greek? Uh, somebody help. I learned to be more patient with them. Mm-hmm. I also took on a role of educating them. So ESG, okay, we know it's environmental, environment, social, and governance. And I break down for them what environment means, just like I did earlier. Inside mm-hmm. the fence, outside of the fence, social is this, and governance is what you have inside of your company. But I speak to them. I speak with them, to them. This is why I also started the podcast, because I saw so many people completely lost in those terms. And I said, well, let me break it down a little bit. Maybe it will help. And indeed, my clients also listen to my podcast and uh, ask me questions that every day become more and more relevant, uh, deeper, more thoughtful, you know, Again, for, some, for, for someone on the street, it would sound like, oh, who are these people? What are they talking about? Yet I Me. understand what... <laughs> but uh, anyone can learn a little bit and educate themselves on what it means. And especially if, if you're the owner of the project and you're investing your own money, you mm. have the people working for you, you're um, invested as well in that project personally uh you have to know i think you have to know you even if the best person in the world is managing that aspect uh you still have to know a little bit what's going on so back to your question uh the clients are coming with oh my god oh my god oh my god the bank said esms esg uh, sustainability report please do something Uh, and then the work starts but while I do that work uh, without adding additional headache on them, they can always ask me question and then c- they can expect that I will respectfully communicate with them, inform them and answer all their questions without mocking them. I saw that before. Uh, I saw that attitude, oh my God, how can you ask these questions? Uh, you, you really don't know. And it doesn't look good and it doesn't sound good. It doesn't create the safe space for, again, for education, for questions, for, mm. for getting the answers. Uh, if I am concerned, I'm convinced that good attitude of a professional, whoever it is, is mm. halfway to success of everyone. It's for yeah. the benefit for, of the project and of everyone who's working on it to allow some good collaboration. Yeah, you mentioned like really key words, things like effective communication, collaboration, respect, even talking about the safe space where you would like, you know, the employees to create a space for safe learnings, the questions, and that whole kind of cultural aspect 
around um, these sort of projects. So as a person now, not not working for a corporation, but offering your services in its own right, how would you kind of recommend to these business owners and these project managers to maintain a good company culture and maintain that um, that vision amongst all employees? Great question again. Uh, I would say, you know, it makes me think leadership always for some reason makes me think of Japanese. When in times of crisis of the company, uh, the first person who downgrades in terms of salary is the head of the company. Uh, you cannot blame the soldiers or the employees for, for the lack of success. Let's just put it this way. Leadership comes from the top. Uh, if the head of the company, head of the organization does not believe in what is happening in that sustainability agenda, and you know, it's not a religion. You don't have to believe in sustainability. It shows it in numbers. It shows in uh, returns on investments. Uh, it saves your resources, be it human resources, uh, informational resources, or material resources, or simply speaking money, uh, in the long term. You can, of course, continue doing things as, you know, as it was before, uh, but investing in sustainability, for me, in two words, it's saving the resource. This is what sustainability is for me. It's balanced use of resource, uh, everything that you put in that resource again, human information, material, time, etc. So they don't have to be believers. They just have to see the numbers. The language of numbers is easy. And, and yet what I saw, there was one case when I saw, well, it was probably coming from ignorance mostly, In ignorance and unawareness, and more to that, unwillingness to become aware. So there was a willingness to throw papers around the table and uh, shout swear words uh, uh. at the board members. Mm. But there was no willingness to actually sit down and listen and for one second acknowledge that yes, you don't know everything and it's okay. Uh, but it's a, it's it was an ego problem. Uh, I'm not a psychologist yet. I sometimes you know wear the hat of psychologist and educator, and uh, when time comes, I explain, uh, explain and educate again respectfully. Mm. Leadership yeah. comes from from the head, definitely. How to keep the leadership? I am a big believer in systems. So when I come a part of my consultant services is build the system, create a policy, create an audit uh, at the wind farm every month. I don't have to be there every month. If I have created a clear and understandable template of what comes after what, what kind of questions do we have to ask our workers? Are they happy? Have they been paid? Do they know uh, the conditions of their contract? Do they have their contract in their own hands? Um, mm. It will sound crazy maybe, but uh, they in possession of their own passports or they are being, you know, slaves, modern slaves. Um, mm. When I say a company, the company is never, when we are talking about big infrastructure project, the company is never working alone. 
the company has general contractor, and then they have subcontractors, then say you have electrical works are done by this company, uh, digging the ground works uh, are done by that company, concrete pouring is done by the third company, but it's still the responsibility of the top of the all nations to the last, last worker. And this is one I am saying, are they in possession of their passports? It doesn't mean that the company I am doing, I'm, I'm providing the services to is a, is a bad employer. We don't know what's happening down the line. It's, uh, again, you're the expert on supply chain chains. That, that's a big uh, issue, the transparency. We don't know what's happening before the product comes to you know, into our hands and what happens with it after it. Yeah. Uh, you anticipate a little bit, uh, but that leads to how do I measure? Well, what is the result of my work? It's very hard to measure what you avoid, you know? You mm -hmm. didn't get sick today because you were appropriately dressed, but you don't know how to measure if you would get sick if you were not dressed appropriately, you know, not warm enough or wearing mm. a hat or something like that. So the lenders are happy, the auditors are happy, all the reports they issue are clean, everything is working smoothly, we have anticipated, we don't have any problems, and this is the result of my work. It's so hard to measure what you didn't get in terms of problems rather than to count uh, count the benefits, you know? But the benefit is that yeah. the project is working smoothly. So how do we measure that? Again, it's a tricky question. It's, it's not easy. Uh, I think everyone kind of designs their own KPI. My KPA is zero uh, health and safety issues, zero... Um, complaints, for example, or grievances from the community, from the, uh, from the workers. I measure it by working smoothly of assessment. Avoidance of mm -hmm. problems is, uh, uh, but you have, to me you have to measure somehow that you're not getting a direct benefit. Our direct benefit yeah. is that we did not get a problem. Uh, so kind of like an inverse. Uh-huh. Nothing is easy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you did mention like the personal KPIs uh, that you kind of stick to, but what, what are normally for these projects, what are normally those the key performance indicators for the sustainability aspects? Like what kind of the key things that they sort of um, measure up to? Mm -hmm. uh, zero pollution incidents. It means that the project is doing fine. There was no leak of oil or whatsoever harmful substance in the river or on the soil that is checked by us and by the external audits every month, pretty much. Uh, zero mm -hmm. health and safety issues, be it um, near misses or uh, incidents or, God forbid, accidents. Um, Mostly, yes, the, the KPIs are, are centered around no problems. Yeah, I feel like it could only be really hard when it then becomes, you know, intangible. If you want to like, because I guess, uh, um, I guess like with the, what you said um, about like water leakages and stuff, at least you can 
you know, transport the harmful chemicals elsewhere and get it disposed more safely. When it comes to maybe, I don't know, like the dust and the air pollution, let's say, that then I can imagine it would be so difficult to then start measuring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and true. Aiming for that zero impact. Right. It's true. But this is why we have, um, on top of the policy and our own commitment, written down and signed by the top leaders of the company, this is why we have as well uh, the set of management plans. So last time I worked on on such documentation, it consisted of 13 documents, uh, each one in details, like 60 pages, um, outlining every aspect of the project uh, in detail and separately. So local content policy, which means Mm -hmm. we really for 40 pages are talking about uh, how are we going to provide local people with job opportunities what kind of job opportunities how many how are we gonna advertise it how are we gonna upskill them Uh, what are we gonna do with the local content students for example last year uh, in february when big gatherings were still legal uh, due to covid19 we didn't know about that Mm. in february I personally organized kind of environmental workshops for the students of of the schools, like aged 13 to 17. Uh, and in, I, I went, so there were five classes, I think, in three schools. The community is not huge. Uh, all of them are more or less around the project. So they're all connected. And I went on to speak about what it means to be an environmentalist, what we're doing uh, in the project, how they are going to benefit, how everything in the world is interconnected. And I kind of mixed professional experience with uh, my own travels. For example, I showed them in one year, in 2019, I was in Morocco and we, uh, we spent one night in the Sahara Desert. And in December, we traveled to Brazil and we went to the Amazon forest. A couple of months later for my own podcast, I was doing research for my podcast. I wanted to do an episode and a curious fact that I came across that NASA captured um, the dust, dusty sand cloud traveling from uh, the Nigerian part of the Sahara across the ocean to to basically sit on the amazon rainforest after the rainy season is over so the rainy season means that the soil loses its nutrients it loses its fertility and so on and then the process starts somewhere in africa in the sahara desert to to bring those nutrients from somewhere back and so nasa it's a fact they captured it on on their satellites uh, pictures are available i was mesmerized i couldn't believe my eyes you know the sand is traveling miles and thousands of miles you know and i i showed that to to the guys so i was like here is a living person in front of you who has been in these exotic places it means you can too it means one day you will. Uh, the villages in Ukraine, I mean, we have the capital, 
we have maybe five, six uh, big cities where, let's say, a million of people lives. This is where life happens. When you go outside of those uh, decently big cities, there is not much happening. It's, it's a fact. There are no, I don't know, um, entertainment. There is no cinemas. There is no, yeah, you, you cannot entertain mm -hmm. yourself too much. It's just a village. Um, so I saw their eyes. I saw that they were engaged. And, you know, every time we were leaving, uh, we were leaving the class, 45 minutes passed by, like, like one minute. And every time the teachers would tell us, oh my God, if these guys are not sitting in their phones, you made it really interesting. Oh my God, if the, this class was sitting <laughs> quietly, you did a great job. Oh my God, if that class was not, uh, I don't know, uh, behaving as they usually do, like in the zoo, uh, yeah. that's awesome. How do I measure that? You know, again, how do I know who of those people will take uh, at least something out of that 45 minutes? One little message. Mm -hmm. It might, by the way, not be the, the main message I came with. It can be anything. It can be, oh my God, yeah. yeah, you know what? I really want to study abroad. Let me study English first. Let me uh, become more consistent about my, I don't know, daily habits. Because if she can, I can do that as well. And that was my main message. That was kind of part of our uh, CSR strategy. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds really, really fun. It's it's good when you bring those experiences into the school environment as well, and such these young people. I'm sure, like, I mean, there's still people probably now, like, at my age, in their 20s, like, not sure where or what they want to do mm -hmm. and, like, what the possibilities are out there. So it's good to, like, really have these conversations as well because, as you said, like, it could be anything they take out of it. Right. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it sounds very, very insightful. But you see, back to your question I about leadership. Uh, when I'm there, when I'm helping mm -hmm. them, it's, uh, it's never like, okay, I'm doing it from A to Z and then goodbye. I also supply them... Mm -hmm the part the people that you know that are really part employees of the company with ideas inspirations oh look this is possible that is possible also i leave them with the properly perfectly functioning systems with templates that they can use by themselves uh, you know, by the time I leave, they are more experts than me because they are actually working in the field. They are collecting those, um, I don't know, comments. They are seeing how things are going on. And um, yes, the, then, then they can do it all by themselves. And it's in the process as well that leadership is born. It's then those employees coming to the head of the company and saying, look, uh, we did this and that. We also want to do uh, X, Y, Z. What do you think? But because we also saw that something worked before, we found some, I don't know, research uh, that someone somewhere, you name it, in X country, they did it too. Can we as well implement this and that? And 
99.9% of the time, the head of the company would listen to them because it's, it's his people. He knows them. He trusts them. It's not some kind of a consultant. Mm -hmm. And they already grew to the point where they can express themselves. They can uh, step up with these suggestions. Because mm. these are kind of like your current projects and your current work. I'm interested to know also what excites you right now in terms of what you think will evolve the future of sustainability. What what's yeah, what's exciting you right now? Oh, what a great question. Professionally, I want to be doing more of those developing and designing and helping more clients, which definitely consultancy uh, helps a lot with, helping more clients with designing this environmental and social documentation, like management plans that I mentioned. And, and they lead mm -hmm. to the peace of mind. So professionally, my... My goal for 2021 is to help as many companies, as many projects as possible to design their projects uh, in a sustainable way. What I think will be a big trend for 2021 and beyond is uh, indoor environments. We are spending more and more time mm. indoors, but it's just my own feeling even the offices are mostly mm -hmm. inside of our places, apartments or houses where we live. We will definitely take more care about the light, the air, I don't know, some other indicators. Um, deliveries made me think of, I became incredibly lazy with cooking this year. So I was like a, a delivery junkie. <laughs> But the packaging, the <gasps> packaging, it's crazy. It makes me oh, cry yeah, almost yeah. every time. So the person who will combine, who I don't know how to say, create a platform that will uh, unite restaurants, deliveries, and customers and create some sort of a take-back system with more sustainable materials mm -hmm. that are not just used and thrown away, uh, will become a billionaire in one day instantly that, that's a guarantee <laughs> i believe uh, uh, a, a startup a startup idea hmm? <laughs> yeah 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 please take it uh, i'll be very happy <laughs> anyone who is listening to us please go ahead uh, don't don't wait <laughs> yeah. uh, i think zero waste is going to be a big thing uh, I see a lot of people doing mm -hmm. steps in that direction. My next step is organic compost. I know that in UK you have them. It's a regular thing, uh, but we don't. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know where your listeners are. Maybe they also don't have the organic compost. That's something to think about. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, on the global scale, I think mobility. So electric we vehicles, Urb greening of the urban spaces mm. um, but it's probably yeah. let's be realistic it's probably not the priority right now anywhere yeah we're traveling yeah amazing no they're they're good I think I'm most intrigued what you've uh, mentioned about indoor environments I think yeah that's very relevant to I, I guess the reference of uh, COVID and how we've changed the purpose and the space around us and yeah integration our interaction with the in indoor space yeah. which 
Yeah, I guess in a sense, I've always kind of uh, viewed lockdown as, again, kind of a resting, a holiday for nature, mm-hmm. like everything outside. Like hopefully we have less impact by being indoors, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know that in a, in the terms of a, a, a larger scale, but that's kind of just like my little hopeful thinking as I, as I look out the window right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's true. But yeah. Well, you see, if, if the corporations is working in the building that is uh, rented probably by themselves or is their own, uh, they invest in proper insulation, in, I don't know, uh, heating, in energy efficiency. No one that I know that is living in their own place is really taking care of energy efficiency maybe some small initiatives, something like, I don't know, proper counters, uh, I mean, own counters, Mm -hmm. when you can actually see how much heat and do you consume, not the whole uh, block of apartments, but you personally. Some filters for the water, dispensers uh, that lets you save a little bit of water, you turn off the light, etc., etc. For the corporations, Mm -hmm. in a way, it's easier because they take this uh, integral approach and they have money if they are already decided, if they have decided to do it, they have the money, they have the resource, they just go on and do it. I'm not so sure that we are less um, uh, kind of less harmful for the planet when we are working from home. It really depends. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It it depends, but it'll be interesting to see if anyone's kind of looked into that, like the measuring. See, that's another idea for the startup, measure. (laughs) Tell us what Uh, to do. Yeah, it will be so interesting. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Anna. I've learned a ton. I've learned a lot about um, sustainability far beyond our, like, our weekly episodes on just fashion sustainability. I think it, it is such a an important um time to talk about it beyond just wherever um wherever we normally look at so for me sitting down with you today and talking through and learning about the environmental projects associated with like infrastructure and the renewables clients that you work with it's it's a little hopeful for me to start my day thinking that there there's also those um those changes happening in the world so it's great to also to learn about you know esms and um how you do these risk assessments review and yeah so it was so insightful so thank you for enlightening me enlightening my listeners to to this new sort of well not new but you know a new a new for me anyway um yeah perspective and just all these learnings so i'm very grateful so thank you but just before we leave off, where can our listeners find you? Uh, they can find me on my website, annachashina.com. Uh, the same name I use uh, on my LinkedIn. And uh, they can listen to my podcast called Sustainability Explored. Amazing. Is there also anything next like Sustainability Explored? Like, is there anything we should look up for? Oh, it's basically, I I cover a variety, again, through the interviews with the experts, a variety of topics of how sustainability manifests itself itself in uh, different industries, from flowers and bedsheets to 
I don't know, um, sustainable finance, uh, urban areas, etc., etc. Uh, the next episode, the first episode of 2021 will be on uh, conscious capitalism. Uh, but basically anyone mm. can find something for themselves. And I, I'll i be very happy if you, if you check it out, if you explore sustainability yeah, with me and you see what's possible for you if you're just starting or if you're transitioning in your career or if you're only thinking what to do as a young professional, uh, you will see you will see that a lot is possible. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. It was a great conversation. Thanks. Oh, no worries. Thank you so much for your time and for speaking all about your work and your, pro your current project. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. So we may have stopped talking, but that doesn't mean you have to. Join us and the rest of the AA fam on our website at animaanimus.co.uk to connect and continue the conversation within our forum spaces. Please do drop me what your thoughts were on this episode. You can even submit any voice notes, ideas, or stories that you'd like me to share on the show. You can also find all the links we've mentioned in this episode in the show notes available on our website. And I would be so, so grateful if you could help me make this show become more discoverable for others by leaving a five-star review on your favorite episode and a social media handle I can contact you with because I would love to connect and thank you all personally. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thank you so much again for coming through and for listening. I really appreciate you joining this journey with me in driving discussions and creating positive industry change. Once again, I want to send you all a mad, mad love. And until next week, this was the Anima Animas podcast with Chelsea now signing out. <laughs>